0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I, I just I feel like that's such an important thing um, for us that that we that we genuinely get to this place where it's like God, I'm not okay with knowing what you've called me to and not seeing that in my life. You know, it, 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 like. I'm okay, in, like as in I'm okay in you. I'm not sitting here saying I'm a wreck, I'm a mess, or any of those things. But God, I don't want there to be areas where I see what you've called me to, or you see your desire, your heart for me, and I see where I am, and there's this huge disparity, because I know that if you've called me to something, you've also enabled me to walk in what you've called me to. You know, you, when Jesus said follow me, he didn't get in a spaceship; he walked. Meaning what? He, the people who were call, he called to follow him were actually capable of following him. He said to, to the disciples, he said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What was their responsibility? Just to follow him. Whose responsibility was it to make them who he desired them to be? This. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not follow me and try as hard as you can to be fishers of men and be frustrated because you don't know how. our Our only part in that, their only part in that was follow me. If you actually follow me, I'll make you what I desire for you to be, but you have to follow me. Well, that's the gospel. If any man would come after me, he must first deny himself, then daily take up his cross and follow me. We deny ourselves, we take up or carry our cross, and we follow Jesus. And every day that we follow him, he'll make good on his promise to make us what he created us to be. He's not a man that he should lie. So if he said, follow me and I'll make you something, that means as I follow him, he'll make me something. So if I'm not being transformed, I'm probably not following. Come on. Let's just be honest with ourselves because, you know, we can fake it. Like, you know, just with the offering thing, you can put a huge, you can paint a plastic smile on your face and put money in the basket. And, And for everyone around you, they think, wow, that's a cheerful giver. You can go through the Christian motions and everyone around you think, wow, they're really a Christian. They're really following Jesus. That's awesome. And you know, the truth of the matter is the earth will be a better place for it because people around you will be blessed, but it does nothing for you because you're not being transformed and you know that. So let's get to a place where we're not having to actually like grit our teeth and fake it and where he actually is transforming us so that when we act on who he's made us to be, it looks like what the desire of his heart is for our lives. Then it's not something you're doing. It's something you've become. Because the gospel is a transformational gospel. It's not a set of, here's a standard, now go do your best to reach it. It's a, this is what I'm calling you into, and if you follow me, this is where I'll bring you. you never forget that. That's, remember, the, I mean, just think about it. He, he tells, did, did, did you think that, that, that Peter had any idea what it was like to fish for men? See, we read this Bible with, with, with foreknowledge of what Jesus was talking about because we've read to the end. Right, so we've seen what that would actually look like. Here's you got to put yourself in Peter's shoes just for a second. This wasn't the original message I had, but just, let's just go here and we'll see where it goes. Put yourself in Peter's shoes just for a second. You're a fisherman. You've heard of this Jesus. In fact, maybe you have brothers that are starting to follow Jesus and relatives that know who Jesus is. And you've, you've, you've heard of him. And, and he's a rabbi, and he's doing these things, right? And, and uh, when he came to Nicodemus, Nicodemus said, we know you're a rabbi because, you do the, because of the signs you do. And no one can do these signs unless God's with him, right? And so this is kind of being generally accepted. And all of a sudden, this man, Jesus, gets in your boat, preaches, you have this huge catch of fish. He brings you to this place where everything that you've wanted is there in front of you. And then he says, okay, now that you've reached what you thought success was I want you to leave that behind and follow me now that you've reached the place that every fisherman wants to get to you go out and you throw your nets overboard and you hope there's fish on a good day there's a lot of fish on the best day there's a little bit more than a lot but on the day you never dreamed of there's more fish than your nets can handle you've reached something that you didn't even imagine was possible. And now that you've come to that place, I want you to leave it behind. And I want you to follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter has no idea what that means. (laughs) I mean, think about it, like, he just got done fishing with a net, dropping it overboard, pulling the net up. It's full of fish. If, if he had any concept of fishing for men at that time, that's his concept. You know, like, are you going to give me a big net? We're going to, me and you, you know, Jesus on one side, me and the other, run through the town and drag people with us. Like, you know, because we read this stuff and we go, oh, yeah, he's going to preach the gospel. And, and, and men are going to follow at his feet and say, what must we do to be saved? And he's going to teach them the gospel and lead them to Jesus. And we see, we read this part already having read this part. And so, so we, we, we lack the ability sometimes to understand this, but Jesus is saying to Peter, like, look, you've reached what looks like success to everybody, and you've got beyond your wildest dreams, Now I want you to leave that stuff behind, and I want you to just follow me, and I'm going to make you something. And he didn't know what Jesus was going to make him. He didn't have a theology for it. In fact, the more theology people had, the less likely they were to follow Jesus. I'm not against theology. I'm not against, listen to me. Some people beat up theology at the expense of knowing him. There's not one for the other. But I am saying sometimes the more that we know, the harder it is for us to see things because we're hearing through what we know. And so Peter's looking at him going, "I I don't know what this means, but I'll follow you. And I'll trust you. And sometimes some of us let what we don't know keep us from actually following when he's saying, listen, I never said, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to go contemplate it, and when you have it figured out, come back and find me. Never said that. He never said, once you get this all straightened out and you can explain it to every person that you meet, then come find me and follow me. That's not what he said. He said, listen, Peter, if you follow me, I'll make you something. It's the same promise for you and I today. I'll promise you. Follow me, and I'll make you what I desire for you to be. What's his responsibility? It's the hard part. It's to make me like him. I mean, that's, that's the hard part. <laughs> it's to make you look like Jesus. What's the easier part in that? Just follow him. Just say yes. Yes. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know everything that that yes is gonna bring you into. You just have to say yes and start following him. And it's not like this, this, this uh, uh, you know, theoretical, will you just, you know, I just followed you. It's actually following him, like waking up every day. You know, he said, when you get born again, the spirit of God would come and live inside of you and he'd lead you and guide you into all truth. In other words, you're gonna follow me, but you're not just gonna to have to try to figure it out on your way. I'm gonna actually give you a guide, a spirit guide. I'm say that to people. <laughs> you know, how do you live? Well, I have the spirit guide. You know, the new age people are all about it. Really, bro? <laughs> Tell me more. You know, they're thinking chakras and auras and all this kind of stuff, you know? Hey, listen, there's perversion out there that doesn't mean that that, that because there's been a perversion that we should give up on the truth. Amen. So, right? You, you According to Jesus... You are led and guided by a spirit being. Let that settle. Because if you want to follow him, you're going to need a guide. You're going to need someone to lead you. Yeah. but Here's the thing. If you don't wake up every day aware of, A, the fact that he actually wants to lead you and guide you, and then, B, listening and watching for what he's saying and where he's leading, and then see being obedient, you could end up all kinds of places. And you may be nowhere close to where God wants you. Well, the idea that you can, on your own, end up right where God wants you, apart from the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, is crazy. If that was true, you wouldn't need him. And sometimes we get this idea that, that well, if it's succeeding, it must be God. Come on. For Peter, success being the measuring stick meant I am right where God wants me because I have full nets. I've fished my whole life and I've reached this point where I have full nets. And if success, as the world defines success, is our determination of of whether we're following Jesus or not, you know, some people say, well, well you, know, you know, God's in it. If, if everything goes well, then it's an easy way to tell that you're being obedient. <laughs> tell that to John the Baptist. Yeah, Paul said, I was beaten so many times. I bear the marks on my body. Been imprisoned. But here's something that, that I thought was interesting. As I was talking to someone the other day, and... Um, and they said, how are you doing? I said, man, I'm doing really good. And they were like, yeah, how's, how's, how's Patty doing? I said, she's, she's doing really good. She's doing awesome. and, and because, because that's the truth. And, uh, and this person said to me, they said, um, how come every time I ask you how you're doing, you're doing good? And it wasn't like a nice question. You could hear in their voice, it was like a challenge. And I said, I guess you've just never asked me when I've been doing bad. And they said, well, what are the chances that every time I've asked you, you've been doing good? I said, I'll be honest with you. The chance that you're going to ask me when I'm doing bad is zero. And they they said, well, well, I mean, like, what are you going through? And I said, oh, you want to know, like, what I'm dealing with? That's a whole different story than how I'm doing. That's a whole different story than I'm, because Paul said, listen, I know what it's like to live in lack and I know what it's like to have abundance. And I found the secret is that in all these things, I'm content. What was he content with? Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'm always doing good because I always have him. So if you ask me how I'm doing, the first thing that pops into my mind is this. I'm a son of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm filled with the spirit of God. I'm following him. He's making me and molding me and fashioning me into a son and who he created me to be. Everything I've ever done wrong has been wiped away by the blood of Jesus. I'll never answer for that stuff because the record that was hostile against me was destroyed on the cross. He made a mockery of my enemy publicly. He filled me with his spirit. He called me to sit in his right hand. The Father said, because we're seated in heavenly places with Christ, and I have a position that's the envy of angels. To which of the angels has he ever said, come and be seated at my right hand? But yet he said it to Christ, and then Paul says, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Why would I ever have an answer other than I'm doing great? Why would my answer be any less than that? Because if my answer is any less than how, when you ask me how I'm doing, if my answer is ever less than that, I've lost sight of everything that he's done. And I'm letting a little issue, a earthly issue that is of no consequence, has no significance. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not trivializing the things we go through. Listen, we go through really hard things, but guess what? Every time we go through them, he's with us. We're never alone. And we have a promise that's greater than what we see. And this person had no grid. Why? Because when we ask people how we're do, how they're doing, the first thing a lot of people think about is everything that's wrong. I mean, none of, none of us in here, but I'm just saying there are people out there listen to the podcast, and they, when you ask them how they're doing, immediately start thinking about the hardest thing that they're dealing with, and circumstances become their answer. And now all of a sudden, we've reduced the gospel to something that doesn't matter in the moment; it just matters forever. Oh, that stirred me up so much because I was thinking like, and and look, I'm not putting this person down. I'm just saying that's the grid that they have. Because if you ask them how they were doing, they probably would have given you an answer other than good, which means the first thing they think of is anything other than him because he's good. How am I doing? I'm in Christ. Like if I walk out of my house and a piano falls on my head, I'm instantly step out of this life and into eternity staring face to face with the one who created me. So like the worst case, the fear of death should be so far removed from a Christian because there's no such thing as death for you when you're born again. You've already died the the death that you're going to die. You've been resurrected now to eternal life in Christ. So that means your reality will change from what is fake to what is really real right? Because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So my reality, someday, just all of us, you'll either be there for mine or I'll be there for yours. Our reality will change from this fake illusion of a world that we see to the real thing, to reality, eternally. I'll step from one into the other at some point in my life, but I don't fear that day. Why? Because I've already come face to face with the one who created me, and I trust him, and I know whom I believe, and I am persuaded, This is what Paul was talking about. And every one of us should get to this place where we say this, and I'm I'm, I'm sure we all are, I'm just encouraging us, that, that we could look at people and say, listen, I know whom I believe in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That I'll stand before him, and I'll be covered with the blood of Jesus, and I'll be covered with the robe of righteousness that he paid for on the cross. And I'll never answer for who I was, I'll only answer for who he said that I am. That's it, forever for eternity. And I'll step out of this and I'll step into that and you'll cry at mine or I'll cry at yours because we'll miss each other. But the truth of the matter is this life is a vapor, it's a mist and nothing that we do here will last eternally except for when we're obedient to him. That's it. I was crying this morning, honestly. I was weeping this morning because I haven't heard that song in eight months. The last time I heard that song was at the funeral of one of my best friends. And so this morning I was on my knees and I'm just weeping because I, I do miss him, because he's not here for a short time, you know, he's there, and I was weeping, and I was just asking God, you know, like, just, just to come, and, and thanking him, and all of a sudden, I got this idea, and I started to realize, you know what, the truth of the matter is, is I'm only crying for me, and the truth is, is he's there, He's not in pain. He's not suffering. He's none of those things. In fact, he's where I long to be and I miss him. But the truth of that is, I'm thankful that I knew him here on this earth because that means I get the chance and the opportunity to know him for eternity. And the next time I see him, I'll never not see him again. And it'll be so fast. So why would I be doing bad when I have that promise? So I have a choice. I can make my decision based on one of two things. I can either look at a temporary circumstance and determine how good I'm doing based on that, or I can look at an eternal promise and base my answer based on, on that. Which one am I going to choose? Every day we get that opportunity. You get opportunities every single day to choose what you're going to base your response on. Is it something temporary or is it something eternal? If we fixed our eyes on things that are eternal, that means we fixed our eyes on Jesus, on the kingdom. Then when we respond, our response is from a place of where our eye is single. And we see the kingdom of God for what it is. And we're living uh, eternally minded, not temporary minded. And so our response would look like that. So how am I doing? I'm doing great. Are you dealing with any circumstances? Yeah, there's things that come up, but guess what? They're not that big a deal because he promised that even if I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I wouldn't fear. Why? Because he's with me. You walk through the valley. He didn't say when I pitched my tent in the valley of the shadow of death. He said even if I was to walk through it. Why did he say walk through it, not even if I lived there? Because you're never called to live in that place. You just walk through those places and you walk through them with him because he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And so when you're walking through that place, if the only joy that you have is you're with me, that's all the joy that you need. You don't need to see a circumstance change to be able to find joy. If you do, then you're saying circumstances are more powerful than him, his presence, his promise. Come on. I don't even remember what my message was. So think about this. If I'm not saying that there's not a place to be like, you know, because then some people are like, oh, so we're just fake? We're just, you know, legs getting gnawed off by a Rottweiler and people look at you, how are you doing? I'm doing great, bro. Well, it looks like your leg's getting chewed off by a dog. No, it's not. I'm doing good. Like, yeah, you deal with that, but that doesn't determine how I'm doing. That determines what I feel in a moment. The problem is, is we let what we feel in a moment determine how we're doing. So if you ask me, how do you feel in this moment, I could tell you a range of things. Because I may have a whole bunch of different emotions going. If you would have came up to me and said, how do you feel right now? I said, man, I feel kind of sad and a little bit sorrowful and I'm a bit like I'm grieving or mourning. If you ask me how I'm doing, I'm doing awesome because there's a promise that says that he'll turn my morning into dancing, that though the sorrow lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. And I have a greater truth in this instance and what I'm feeling right here in this moment. So I'll feel that thing. I'm not a robot, but I won't let that define me or keep me there. That's the difference because you have a promise that someone that's not born again doesn't have. You should have an answer that's different than the person right next to you that doesn't know Jesus that's going through the same thing. Because if you don't, then the gospel isn't actually changing the way that you think and the way that you live. Think about this. You have two people. One's born again. One's filled with the spirit of God. One knows the promises of the Lord over his life. And you have another person that says there is no God, shakes their fist at heaven and says, if there's a God, then how come? And lives the way that so many people live, right? And you have these two people and they experience the exact same thing. And if you ask them how you're doing, both of them have the same answer. That would be a tragedy. That would be an absolute tragedy because that means that we are being defined by the things we're going through, not by the things that he did, not by his promise. I'm answering as if I don't know the promise. Come on, I have to forget what he said to give you an answer other than good. The children of Israel go into the desert and every day God makes food come down. Once it did it for a day, two days, three days, four days, if they saw it as a revelation of God's heart, they could never get to a place where, when their manna dried up and turned crusty every night, they panicked. Can you imagine how weird it would be if every night the Israelites gathered in, together and said, What are we going to do? We don't have any food. All the food we got this morning is moldy. We can't eat it. In fact, it'll poison us if we try to eat it. What are we going to do? I don't know. Ask Moses. I asked him. He doesn't seem concerned. He keeps talking about milk and honey. I don't see milk and honey. I haven't seen milk and honey in quite a while. Can you imagine how weird it would be if literally every time they ran out of bread at night, they went to sleep panicking and fearful. At some point, you would walk up to them and say, don't you believe that he promised to take care of you? Haven't you seen his faithful hand? Haven't you every day woke up and without doing anything of your own and working for it, received nourishment? Why are you panicking? Why are you acting as if you don't know what he's promised? Like at some point, someone around you, if, you know, like if, if every now and then people started getting this revelation, wait a minute, this isn't just him doing something. He's actually showing us his heart to provide for us. And he's the one that called us out of the desert and he never told us to bring anything that would make food. And he brought us into a dry place where we can't grow food if we want to. In fact, we can't even get water. Unless he provides it, he—it was his heart. He brought us out of Egypt. We saw his faithfulness while we were in Egypt. When we were coming out, we were overtaken by them. And then, when they trapped us in front of the Red Sea, he parted the seas. We walked through, and he closed the seas on the Egyptians. And then when we needed water, Moses touched a rock, and water came pouring out. And every day, there's been manna every morning, and we've collected it every morning. And it's come down, and it's been there for us when we woke up, and we've made bread with this stuff, and we've eaten, and we've always been nourished. And our shoes haven't worn out. We've been walking for... You know, because some of these people, maybe, you know, they're 20 years into this thing and they're still paying. It would be, and if people started getting this revelation, wait a minute, this isn't just God doing something. This is God displaying something. He wants us to see him for who he is and he wants us to live by his promises, his character and his nature rather than our circumstances. At some point, the people that got that revelation should go over to the people that are freaking out going, oh my gosh, we need to have a camp meeting. I would say fast, but I think we're going to have to. <laughs> we need to pray. We've got, we've got to storm the gates of heaven. Why? We have no food. Hello, look around. This is the way we live sometimes. And we put religious language to it. At some point, somebody should love them enough to go to them and say, look me in the eyes. How long have we been walking with him? Didn't he promise that he would protect us and provide for us? Hasn't he protected and provided for us? When you woke up this morning, what did you eat? Manna? How did you get it? It was just there. Who do you think put it there? Yesterday, when you woke up, what did you eat, manna? Did it get there because you panicked? Or did it get there because he loves you? Your shoes haven't worn out. You should have gone through four pairs by now. No one's been sick. No one. Not one person among us has been sick this whole time. When the Israelites, when the Egyptians were chasing us, he parted the sea. We're just saying about that. He swallowed up our enemy. Did, Did you do that? Was that your plan? Or was that a revelation of his heart? Like at some point, the people around us should come to us and say, listen, you're living as though you don't know who he is, what he's promised, or what he's done. Why? Because the only way you can say these things is if you have forgotten who he is, what he's promised, or what he's done. Because the minute you remember those things, every bit of your fear is gone. Because he's promised to be the same God yesterday, today, and forever and we're doing what he called us to do. We're walking here because he called us here. I'm saying, like, guys, at some point, we have to love each other enough to look around at each other, and instead of giving each other sympathy when we're in these places, I'm not saying don't be compassionate, but sometimes the most compassionate thing you can do is speak the truth in love and say, listen to me. I'm hearing what's coming out of your mouth, and what's coming from your mouth is showing me that you've taken your eyes off of truth. And I love you too much to let you stay there because the longer you stay there, the more normal this will become for you. And you can't, because one day the revelation's coming. Like one day you're gonna take your eyes off that thing and you're gonna put your eyes on him and you're gonna realize how much time you wasted with your eyes there. And you can't go back and relive those days. I love you too much. And if you choose to do that, it'll be over me telling you truth and you'll have to make a choice to ignore what the spirit of God is saying to you through me right now. You'll have to choose to ignore what the Spirit of God has said through His Word, and you'll have to choose to ignore everything that you know and have experienced. And if you choose to do that, I can't stop you, but I have to do what I can to tell you. Don't live there, because there's a day coming where when you take your eyes off of that and you put your eyes on Him, you're going to look back and realize how much time was wasted living there, and you can't go back and relive those days now that the knowledge has come. So why don't you do that now? And I love you, and I'm sorry, and I know that that shouldn't have happened. But guess what? It happened. You can't change that now, but you can choose to not let that change you. You can say, for the rest of my life, I am not going to live in the shadow of that thing. I'm going to live under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm going to choose today, right now, today. And and people, would say, you know, you say these things to people, and I'm telling you, sometimes you people say, well, you don't know what it's like. What does that matter? We were talking about this yesterday. I've looked at people, and I've gone through what they're going through. I just haven't made it my story for everybody to know, because you don't share every part of your life to every single person. There's wisdom in that. Jesus didn't entrust himself fully to everyone, because he knew it was in the heart of men. And you're telling them truth from the scripture that has actually changed your life and they're looking at you and saying well that's easy for you to say or what well, you don't understand as if and if i was to open my mouth and say actually i do and tell them a story then they would believe me we have reduced christianity to what we have seen in someone else's life versus what we've seen in the word of god how sad is it that you would have to hear me tell you a story for you to believe the truth that's coming from my mouth As if my experience somehow validates the word of God. As if the word of God needs my experience to validate it. As if God's over there going, well, my word is almost complete. Once somebody actually walks through it and experiences it, then they have the, people tell you that, you know, well, if you've gone through something, you have authority. If you've gone through something, you may have a greater level of understanding of where the person's at, but it doesn't give you a greater level of authority because your authority doesn't come from you. It comes from the word of God. And anything I'm pulling aside from the word of God isn't worth listening to anyways, no matter how much experience I have to validate it. If I can't find it in Scripture and in the life of Jesus, don't listen to me. I don't care if it tells you if I tell you it changed my life. Just people out there have changed their lives a lot of different ways. Only one way changes our life eternally. And if I'm telling you things and you need to hear a story to validate the Word of God, you should get alone. If people say that to you. You tell them truth. You read them a Scripture. They'll look at you and say, well, yeah, but... But what? Because I just told you what Jesus said. And now you're going to tell me something that invalidates what he said? And if I was to tell you a story, then maybe it would validate it? So what is your faith in? Is it in his word and him? Or is it in me and my story? I understand testimony. I understand, you know, there's the sharing testimony is awesome. And you know, when God tells you to share something with somebody, share it with somebody. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, loving our own lives not unto death. Guess what your testimony is? It's the same testimony as every believer. I once was lost and now I'm found. Jesus Christ took me and 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 He took my sin on the cross and He became sin that knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He actually became my sin. You realize that's what happened when He was on the cross. He became your sin. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Oh, open your Bibles real quickly. I'm going to get through a little bit of this. How much time do we have? Because that clock's all wrong. Oh, no, it's right. Never mind. Okay. I thought it was wrong. I was like, whoa, we still have that much time? Um, <laughs> well, we were working here yesterday, and we, we tripped a breaker, and the wiring in this building is weird. And a, a breaker tripped, and, and we were trying to find it, and the one that said it was, wasn't it? And so we reset so many things, I thought maybe the clock got reset, but it didn't. Anyways, um, uh, in in chapter uh, 3 of John, uh, um, such a famous chapter here, um, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him and says, um, He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus always gave these weird answers. right? This guy comes to him and says, he didn't even ask Jesus the question. But Jesus understands where, the question, where what he's saying comes from. So he just cuts to the chase. Sometimes people say, well, you don't understand. Listen, I don't have to hear everything to know the truth and the answer that you need. Sometimes you've talked about your story so many times that the details have become bigger than the answer. And sometimes we have so many problems because we have so many answers. Jesus doesn't even hear the issue that Nicodemus has. All he hears is Nicodemus say, we know you're a a rabbi, a teacher, sent from God, because no one can do the signs you do unless God's with them. Jesus answers him and says, no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born again. And Nicodemus is probably thinking, okay. And he does exactly what you would think he would do. He says, well, how can a man be born again when he's old? go back in his mother's womb? Why? Because he's thinking naturally. He says he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? What's he doing? He's thinking naturally. He doesn't understand. He doesn't discern what Jesus is saying. And the truth of the matter is, is at that moment, Nicodemus couldn't be born again. Jesus hadn't died and been resurrected yet. He could be justified by the law at that point, but he couldn't be born again because the price for sin hadn't been paid on the cross. But Jesus was saying, listen, you have to realize this. Jesus was always speaking prophetically to people, and then he told his disciples, he said, these words that I've spoke to you, the Holy Spirit will bring them into your remembrance when I'm gone. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, I put a lot of truth out there, and there's a day coming where you'll see what I was talking about, and you'll understand what I was saying. I can't tell you those things right now because you can't bear them, but when he comes, he'll bring into remembrance all these things I've spoken to you. Jesus was always speaking truth. That's why it's so important when you talk to People, you speak truth to them so there's something the Holy Spirit can work with and bring back to their remembrance. If you leave people with anything, it needs to be truth. Don't make them feel better in a moment by telling them something that's not true because there's nothing the Holy Spirit can work with in that. See, he doesn't deal with feelings, he comes to comfort. How does he comfort? He brings truth, he doesn't change your feelings, he doesn't go, Happiness, and you just all of a sudden get zapped with happiness and a smile comes on. No, he gives you a truth that destroys the lie that was causing the misery to begin with. And so so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And and Nicodemus is like, the only thing he could think. See, we read these scriptures with foreknowledge. We read these scriptures knowing what he's talking about. Nicodemus didn't have... Corinthians to say, now, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's now a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things have become new. He didn't hear that. He didn't know. He didn't know Romans, the dead to sin, alive to Christ. You've been buried into his death with baptism and raised to newness of life. He didn't have Romans. We do. He didn't. So he thinks the only way he possibly could think at that time, he says, so you're telling me I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born. a son. That's impossible. He's a man, he knows how things work at this age, you know? He's like, uh, that's going to be tough. But Jesus says to him, listen, I'm telling you that, I'm just going gonna, gonna to summarize this a little bit. He says, listen, you're, you're thinking the wrong way. Whatever's born of flesh is flesh. Whatever's born of spirit is spirit. He says, you, you must be born of, of, of water and of spirit. In other words you were born the first time in water because the womb is full of water remember when water breaks the water leaves the womb so does the baby born in water and not by being water baptized like some of you have taken this to mean well you have to be water baptized and then baptized with the spirit it's not what he's talking about here because he says that which is flesh, he clarifies this right away for us that which is flesh is flesh in words, the first birth was flesh the second birth is of the spirit you have to be born again of the spirit of god And so Nicodemus now is really confused, right? And he says to Jesus, he says, how can these things be? Jesus looks at him and says, are you a teacher of the Jews? You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? It was unfair of Jesus a little bit probably to say this to him, but it wasn't. He was challenging him and saying, listen, if you're going to be a teacher, you have to understand this. Jesus also knows the day's coming real soon where he'll understand this if he has ears to hear and eyes to see. Because he's a Pharisee. Guess who wanted Jesus crucified? The Pharisees. Guess who would remember this conversation? Nicodemus. And the Holy Spirit would bring to Nicodemus's remembrance the things that Jesus spoke to him, and suddenly truth would come. That's why it's so, I'm telling you, listen to me, you have to speak truth to people in love. Don't be a jerk. Don't use the truth as a hammer to beat people up. But if you give them anything other than truth, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to bring back to their remembrance when they're alone with their thoughts. When the enemy comes and attacks, the Holy Spirit brings that truth back up. Anyway, so, so Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel, of Israel, and you don't understand these things. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our t- testimony. I've told you earthly things you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus says to him, listen, the same way that, that Moses lifted up a serpent, the Son of Man has to be lifted up. How did Moses lift up a serpent? You remember the story. The Israelites had been disobedient. They'd been backbiting. They'd talked against God, and serpents came, and they were biting, and they were killing and destroying the people. Jesus says, remember when serpents were destroying God's people? The very thing that was destroying them Moses made an image of it, held it up and raised it up on a pole. And when people looked to that image, the thing that was destroying them destroyed them no more. He says, the same thing's going to happen to me. What's he saying? Sin, the very thing that's destroying God's people. Something will be made in the image of sin. It'll be hung on a pole. It'll be raised up. And everyone that looks to it will be saved. That's what he's talking about when he says he actually became sin. He didn't just act sinful. He didn't just say, okay, I'll give my life in exchange for and all these. No, he became the thing that was destroying us, was raised up on a pole and said, whoever believes in me. Now, let me ask you this. And he leaves Nicodemus with that, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, that famous verse we all know. And he leaves him with that. And if anyone was watching, they would think to themselves, that Jesus is pretty weird. Because he talked about being born again. And when Nicodemus asked him about climbing up into his mother's womb, he doesn't answer him. Then he starts talking about Moses and the snakes and says that has to happen to him. You know, is he going to get attacked by snakes? What's going on here? And and maybe you wouldn't have understood it. Maybe Nicodemus wouldn't have understood it. He left. But there would be a day where Nicodemus, a Pharisee, would see Jesus raised up on a cross. And he would remember what Jesus said to him. And he would understand. And he would say, oh, so the thing that was destroying me has been raised up on a pole. And now, that's the thing that when I look to it, saves me. And my life is no longer destroyed by the thing that was destroying me. Every one of us, listen to me, you're doing great because he was raised up on a pole. The problem is that sometimes we let the things down here that are trying to bite our ankles matter more than the one who hung upon the cross and what he promised. So, listen, listen. I don't even know what you're going through, and I don't need to. But I know this. It's not greater than what he went through for you. He said, in this world, you would face trouble, pressure, all those words, right? But take heart, for I have overcome. What's he saying? There's nothing that you face that I haven't already destroyed. (laughs) There's nothing that you face that I haven't already overcome. There's nothing coming against you that I didn't already come against and destroy. That's your answer. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Really? Because I heard this and I heard that. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's not how I'm doing. Let me tell you why I'm doing amazing. All of a sudden, you're sharing the gospel with somebody that needs to hear the gospel because their definition of how you're doing is the things they heard about that you're going through that aren't good. And you look at them and you say, I could, take my, I could get down there and look at those things and define my life by that, but I'm so busy looking at him and defining my life by him that I don't have time for that. And I've taken my eyes off of the thing that was destroying me and I've put them on the one who has saved me and that no longer destroys me and no longer has any effect on me. Why? Because they can't touch me when I'm looking at him. It's truth. I had a message all about being born again why those notes were there listen that's where it starts we're if i preach this message next service then you can listen to it on the podcast and then the next message i want to talk about is so you're born again now what right because being born is the first part and then you grow up into all things christ who is the head What does it look like to grow up into Christ? What does it look like to mature? What does it look like to actually walk after him and be transformed into the image of his son from glory to glory? All these things. I want to talk about those things because sometimes we say things like be born again and I think sometimes we have no idea what that means or people have no idea what that means, right? Because born again has been called so many things. Here's what born again means in, in its purest form. It means that I was born into sin like we talked about last week. I was born into Adam. I understand that I see my need for a savior and I understand I can't save myself. I need to be forgiven, I need a Savior, and I need a Lord. Because that's what Peter said to them when he asked him, what must you do to be saved? He said, now you see this Christ whom you crucified is both Savior and Lord. What's he meaning? He's the one who paid for your sin, and he's the one who keeps you from it when you follow him. He's the one who paid for your life, and he's the one who wants to then be the master of your life. So you give him your life, you surrender to his lordship, he is your Savior because he paid for your life, and he's your Lord because he now owns your life. That means my life no longer belongs to me. I've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. It was the blood of Jesus. You no longer belong to yourself. Your life isn't even yours. It belongs to him. Now he's Lord. That means now I have someone else that sits on the throne. It was me that sat on the throne before. I sat on the throne. I was born into self. This is what he's saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, listen, you were born into the flesh. The flesh is what? It's selfish. It wants what it wants at the expense of everybody else. He says, that's how you were born. You were born into flesh. You have to be born again by the spirit. The spirit is what? The spirit of God. God is what? Love, selfish or love, one or the other. That's what you were born into. This is what you must be born again into. And that's why he says, those who are born of the Spirit, he said, now we see, and we no longer see Christ according to the flesh, we see him according to the Spirit, even though we once beheld him that way. And we've all taken that to mean, and it does, we don't see people for the things they do wrong, we see them with the eyes of God. No, he's saying, listen, we don't see people selfishly anymore. We don't see them for what they can do for us, for what we can gain from them. We see them now through the eyes of the Spirit of God, which is love. Greater love has not a man than this, that they would lay down their lives for another. He's saying, listen, I don't walk through life anymore. We once saw Jesus for what he could do for us. We no longer see him that way. Why? Because our life is now, God, what can we do for you? I want to lay my life down to serve you because you're my Lord, you're my Savior. That's what he's saying there. And that includes a whole lot of things, and I know there's a lot of teachings on that that talk about different things, but in its purest form he's saying, listen, there was a time when we once beheld Jesus this way. We saw him just as the one who could get us out of hell, the one who could do this, and he is those things. But we don't see him that way anymore because we've been born again. Now we see him as Lord and Master, and now we want to lay our lives down for him. We no longer look through the eyes of selfishness. We see him through the eyes of love. That's what it is to be born again. And so, real quickly, I'm just going to close up with this, but but who was Jesus talking to when he said this? Nicodemus. What was Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. You know Pharisees went to the temple every time the doors were open? Listen to what he says to Jesus. He says, we know that you're a rabbi, a teacher sent from God for only the only way you could do the things you're doing is if God was with you. So he's saying, listen, first of all, he believes in God. He has to, or he wouldn't care about Jesus doing the things that God sent him to do. He believes Jesus was sent by God. He goes to the temple every time the doors are open. He's a Pharisee. He's memorized the first five books of the Bible. Memorized them. They fasted twice a week. Sometimes a little more, but a minimum, two times a week. They fasted. They prayed. They prayed all the time. They read the scriptures. They searched the scriptures. They genuinely studied the word of God. Not a casual checklist, read the Bible, you know, open your Bible up on your phone or on your, in your, your paper Bible and read a few pages so that you can say that you read your Bible. No, they were in the word searching the scriptures to know him. Jesus said, he said, in vain you search the scriptures to find me, but these are those that lead you, that speak of me. What was he saying? He didn't deny the fact that they searched the scriptures to try to find him. They genuinely wanted to find him, and they were searching the scriptures for it. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom another time, right? So he said they were righteous people as a standard of righteousness among people who were born to themselves. But look what he tells him. He says, listen, none of that saves you, Nicodemus. Going to church every time the doors are open. It's awesome to gather with the people of God. It's awesome to get together to worship. That doesn't save you. Fasting twice a week, that doesn't save you. Memorizing the scriptures, even the first five books of the Bible, that doesn't save you. Believing that there's a God, it doesn't save you. He said, Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, there's one way you must be born again. All those things are amazing, Nicodemus, and they make a great addition. But they're not the answer, because I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You must be born again. So I just want to ask everyone here, because you know what the truth of the matter is. I talk to people on a pretty regular basis that were born, growing up, going to church, knew who God was, believed in God, believed in God. Yet it's a common one, right? Well, I mean, I believe in God. James says that the devil, the demons, believe that there is a God and shudder. In other words, listen to me. The demons actually believe he's a God and it causes a response in them. It's just not the right response. That's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, don't think that believing in God and that belief in God and causing you to do anything is gonna save you. The only thing that believing in God and the only response that will actually save you is saying, if you're God and if you're Lord, then I believe what you said, I take you at your word and I need a savior, I need a Lord and it can't be me. You sent your son to die on a cross. You believe in your heart, I believe that and then you confess with your mouth for the, with the heart man believes and with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. So I believe this in my heart, and I speak it with my mouth. Come, I need to be born again. I need to be in Christ. I need to be filled with your spirit. I need to be born of the spirit of God. I was born the first time into Adam. I need to be born again into Christ. And there's a lot of people. she said on that day, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. Listen, they did all the religious activities. I never knew you. So I'm just going to give us an opportunity right now. Like, like I said, it's, it's not like this. We're going to talk about what does this look like. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you. But Peter had to actually get out of the boat and follow him. Every time, following Jesus is a lifelong journey, but it starts with a first step of saying, I need to be forgiven. I need to be born again. I need the Spirit of God to come inside of me and create new life inside of me. I need to be forgiven. I need everything I've done. Paul says um, in, in Corinthians, he says, now, that we see, now we see that through Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting their sins against them So we beg as though God himself begs on, uh, um, through us, be reconciled to God. What's he saying? God's already done everything on his end that's required. Now it's time for us to be reconciled to him, to say yes to the, for, to the forgiveness that was paid for, to say yes to the salvation that was bought on the cross. And I, I know I'm preaching to a room full of people that, that love God, and I know that probably everyone here is born again, but I do want to give the opportunity if there is anybody here. Church attendance, praying and fasting and knowing and studying the word and memorizing the word doesn't save you. Being born again does. It's the only thing. That's how we start following him. And then he'll make us who he wants us to become. So I'm just going to ask people, don't look around right now, because you know the truth of the matter is that sometimes people care about what you think. I know it's crazy. But there's actually people that care about what other people think. Sometimes, the fear of man things a snare. Don't let it be a snare right now. And some people, honestly, I, listen. I went to a a college uh, uh, meeting, and there was there was I don't know five six hundred people there, and I talked about this stuff, and I gave an invitation, and you know the girl who booked me to come and speak got born again. So. She had to say, you know what, I know everybody here thinks that I'm following Jesus and that I'm a Christian, but the truth of the matter is, is either I've never heard this or I've never responded to this and I have to give my life to Him." And it took her not caring what everyone around her was going to think. That probably was an awkward meeting the next day when they had their meeting to plan the next FCA meeting. It shouldn't be. Because the truth is, is sometimes we've just been fooled or we fooled ourselves. But now the truth has come, we have to respond. So I'm just going to ask real quick, is there anybody here who would say, I need to be born again? I've gone to church, fasted, prayed, studied, memorized, done all those things. I'm Nicodemus. But I've never actually been born again. If there's anybody here who would say that, you can change that right now. and The Spirit of God will come and in an instant create new life. Is there anybody here? If there is, just raise your hand. Because I want to pray with you. This isn't about counting a tally or keeping a score or any of that kind of stuff. It's saying, listen, I want my life changed. I have to have this. I have to be born again. I can't only be doing as good as my circumstances. I have to receive everything that He died on a cross for me to receive. And I want to follow Him. I want Him to make me who I was created to be made. Is there anybody here who wants to do that today? You can, right now. Yeah, yeah, come on. (laughs) Is there anybody else? Before we move on and pray with these two, come on, don't let this, I'm telling you, listen. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Come on. If you're worried about what everyone in here thinks, let me just tell you what everyone here thinks. Everyone here thinks, oh, dear God, if there's anybody in here that needs to know you like I know you, let them know you that way. That's what they think, so don't be worried about that. Is there anybody else before we pray with these three that raised their hands? If you raised your hand, would you just put it back up again real quick? And this is what we want to do. And I promise it's not a weird thing or a spooky thing. We're just going to have some believers around you pray with you. But here's what we want you to do. It says, with your heart you believe, and with your mouth you confess. There's not a magic prayer. I'm not going to tell you repeat after me. I'm going to say that thing that's going on inside your heart where you see Jesus as the Son of God crucified, made sin for your behalf. That thing that you believe that he did that for you and that by saying, Jesus, I need to be forgiven, would you come and forgive me? Would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? That thing that's going on in your heart right now that caused you to put your hand in the air, when you open your mouth and you confess that and you respond to that, he comes like a flood. And I promise you, you're about to feel it because the spirit of God's gonna come inside of you and you have no idea what that's like, but you're about to. So if there's a, if you put, put your hand up real quick and we're just gonna pray with them, gather around them, saints, and, and, and put your hands up and let's let's welcome these people into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said that when you're born again, you enter the kingdom. You enter the kingdom. And if they need someone to explain to them real quick just what they're crying out for, then go ahead and do that. And then give them opportunity to open their mouth and respond to what God's doing in their heart. and everybody that's not around, and just begin to pray for them. Pray and thank God for new life. Pray and thank God for the Spirit of God coming and creating new life inside of them, for old things passing away and all things becoming new. They don't even know right now what they're saying yes to. A lot of some maybe, maybe they're like Peter. And all they know is Jesus said, follow me, and they don't know what that looks like, but they're going to follow him. They're surrendering their lives and making him Lord. And the God of this world loses and the God, who is God, welcomes another child into his kingdom. Father, we thank you for that. And you just open your mouth and respond to that. Just, just as simple as, Jesus, I, I need a Savior. Thank you for, for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Come and be my Lord. That's as easy as it is. It's not complicated. Holy Spirit, come right now like a flood. Fill them. Baptizing them in your love baptizing them in your fire. Fill them right now. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for new life, God. We thank you for new life. I, I'm, I'm, we're, gonna, um, we're gonna close up here, but listen, if you're one of those people that raised your hands, you, 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 when this service is over, you talk to the people that, that maybe you know that are, that are around you right now, and you just talk to them for a minute. Give them a chance to just speak some truth to you and tell you what it is to follow him. Because like I said, this is a first step. It's the most amazing thing. But now it's a life of following him and what that looks like. And you get alone tonight with him and you just say, God, would you come and father me? Yeah. You get alone. You don't have to have anyone around you you don't have to be anywhere in a certain place. You just get alone with him and you just say, God, I have lived my life for me this far. I want to surrender my life to you. Would you come and father me, lead me, and guide me? Holy Spirit, fill me. Just start praying those kind of prayers. Holy Spirit, come. You, Jesus, you said that, you, that the Holy Spirit would lead me and guide me into all truth. I need to be led. I need to be guided. Holy Spirit, come. And you just start letting him minister to you and teach you and speak to you. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and know my voice. That means he's still speaking. He'll come and speak to you. He'll come and show you. God, we just thank you for this new life. We thank you for what it is to be born again, God. I pray that, 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 that when the enemy tries to come, that you would raise up a standard, that when the enemy comes like a flood, you would raise yourself up against them and you would be their defense and their protector. You would lead them and guide them. In Jesus' name, amen.